the beautiful voice of Aurelia Lassac, a French poet and performer who writes, sings and speaks in French, English and Occitan, a language spoken in parts of southern France, northern Spain and Italy. In what follows, you'll hear her different uses of voice as she reads and sings from her work, and then an interview with Susanna V. Evans, in which they discuss the imaginative experience of writing poetry across multiple languages, and the relation between poetry, sound, and music. This podcast is brought to you by the Department of English Studies at Durham University. It was recorded during the Symposium of Sound conference, held in 2018. Posso esperare? Serai qui, e ora lo miral, e parlarem di tuye o l'altro al tedin del miral. Esperarai qui, al rastino cadiero, al biais de Zauselsom, la dulu di maqueso per mi papertre da quel custod del miral. Give me your name, so that I can wait for you. I'll be here. The mirror there, and we'll speak of you, me, and the other in the mirror. 
I join her there, a little slant on the edge of a chair, the way birds do. The ache in my thigh keeps me from losing myself to that side of the mirror. In the morning, I wear my earrings. I may even wear them to bed, should you surprise me in the night. But if I have no name, how will I know which of us, her or me, is waiting? Te duna un nu, te duna un nu, in un negre, din de carieros, desertus, asam de granguses. Te duna un nu, cambasa la riviero, en tengudo de nuech, en innuralus homes que se sun perdut en te crezensasi. Give you a name. Give you a name when you dance in the dark with great hounds in empty streets. Give you a name when you stroll to the river dressed for night in the glaring sun, spurning the men who were doomed the moment they thought they possessed you. I'll offer you oranges and to peel them a knife, no bigger than a thumb, an ivory knife I steal when the battle is over. A dead man's gift to another woman, and you will be bound to think of her, of her cold sheets, of the hole in her pocket traded for the knife. I'll offer you blades of grass that cling to the soles of my feet, from shoots that grow there, where the bodies lie, standing tall as sentinels, at the precise point their retreat ended. Il y eut un homme, il y eut une femme, et de mémoire d'homme, il y eut un mythe. <laughs> so that was brilliant it it sort of i felt like the the space was very good for this actually because um it sort of felt like at times when you angled your voice in certain directions it was like seeing the sun when you see the rays of light sort of heading just at you it was very, very acoustically interesting the way the sound was filling the space essentially but Apart from that, I guess I wanted to start by asking you how you first encountered Occitan. Yeah. So I grew up in the southern France in a department called Lot. Maybe some of you know Caor. And uh, so the Occitan language, its uh, linguistic area goes from Valderan in Spain through the far south of France until the... Um, west part of uh, Piemonte in Italy. It's quite a large area. And uh, I, so I grew up right in the middle of this space. Mm. And um, I am too young to be a Occitanophone uh, as a first language. Yet the old people still spoke it 
and my father taught me. So my first encounter was since always, indeed, because I grew up in this territory and, and the language is known even if very endangered. Uh, and as I grew up with, with a father who decided to, to involve also himself in, in the language, I, of course, I was aware. Mm. Mm. And this is something, um, I think I was talking to someone earlier about this, the workshop we did in, in Scotland, um, because I thought, again, I thought as a French speaker that I would have an innate understanding of Occitan because I thought it would be similar to French, and it's just not. So I remember saying, speak some Occitan mm-hmm. to me and I'll, you know, decipher it. Yeah. And it just didn't work that way. Uh, it- yes. Well, indeed, uh, linguistically, Occitan is a um, brother and sister with Catalan. Mm. And uh, on the paper, it's absolutely obvious. I, I was um, doing my studies, in, I mean, Occitan studies, and uh, I had to do a, some paper about um, Catalan dialect spoken in um, Sardinia, in Italy. It's called Alghero. Mm-hmm. And so I opened a dictionary, and I discovered that I understand everything. <laughs> but I didn't know, I didn't know at that time that I, I could understand Catalan that easily. Wow. And, uh, when I go to Catalonia, I speak Occitan with a Catalan phonetic. Okay. And all the words I know in Catalan, I put it in the sentence. And Occitan sounds archaic for a Catalan because the Catalan evolved more. And so we have forms that they know from the past of Catalan. Or from the most lost and far away place in the mountain where people kept some archaism. Mm-hmm. And could you talk to us a little bit about the bilingual processes of your writing and composing? Because I, I don't, I mean, Enquête en Visage um, yeah. was a book you were mainly reading from, I think. Yes. I mean, is, is it your sort of natural urges to write in French, or do you feel that Occitan pushes you to do something different, and how does then the translation into English come? Is that also your, you know, always your own translations, or do you ever... (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, So, uh, about the process of writing, initially I I just wrote in Occitan, and I discovered poetry through, I mean, writing poetry through Occitan. At that time, I would have not dared to write a poem in French because... Not because French... No, no, the, the reason is that um, I grew up in, mainly in French. And when you grow up, you learn, I mean, as a child, all the limits of the reality. And it limits your spirit also, in a way, you know? Before you tell a child that tree can't fly, if you say, look at the window, the trees are flying, they will look at the window, expecting it to happen. Mm. So, Occitan was not the language in which I was taught to understand Mm. how the reality is limited. And also, it's not the language of school. And at school, when we learn literature and when we learn poetry, we treat it like a dead corpse. 
which is not necessarily the best <laughs> way to give you inspiration. So um, Occitan in this sense was kind of virgin for writing poetry. Mm. So it could have been another language. That's what I mean also. Yeah. It's not just that the very inner sounds of personality of the Occitan language that made me writing in Occitan. Mm. It's also more... So, I, I didn't answer it. Yes, <laughs> it's just the beginning. So I wrote the first book in Occitan. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Occitan is not uh, spoken, I mean, only by few people, I could not share my poems. And uh, when I wanted to share my poems, I had to, to make a translation. And, and my French translation was terrible. <laughs> and uh, some friends said, okay, we can try to translate it into French for you. And it was worse. <laughs> so uh, I thought if I... Because I, I discovered that I loved writing poetry. So I wanted to keep going. But if I wanted to keep going and not being absolutely alone in life. I had to find a way to share it into, my, into French. So that's how I went to this process, which is not translation. Mm. Uh, so um, I really, I write bilingually. So I have one page, one sheet of paper for Occitan, one for French. And at the moment when I write the poem, I, I will, let's say, write one verse in one language, and look what it gives in the other language. So at that moment, there is a translation. But as soon as I think in the other language, I, I have new, of course, echoes. So it might, not correct, but change the first version. And so it's talking like that from one on both sides. So in the end, I write an original poem in two languages. That's, that's interesting. And it was um, interesting actually hearing you weave all of them together because it seemed at the end, or as your reading was coming together at the end, the, the kind of quickness with which you changed between languages kind of seemed to speed up and it was an interweaving, a braiding of space of the different sort of, you know, the Occitan and then a line in English and then the mm. French. And I, I sort of wonder what the experience was for all of you as well, because, you know, if you're a French speaker, you would have had comprehension at different times, and then with the Occitan, mm. I imagine there are fewer Occitan speakers in, <laughs> in this chapel. Um, yeah, I could notice that some people here understand French. The eyes were different. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it that drew you towards writing about Ulysses and having the voices in dialogue? Because you sort of sp spoke about the the form, how it's sort of it's it's poetic, but there's also an element of drama as well. As a researcher, I studied theatre from the 17th century, but theatre. And um, you you might have noticed that I am very. Uh, attracted by um, the uh, antiquity, the Greek uh, antiquity heritage. Because I grew up with these stories, that's what my, what my dad, again, was used to tell us when we were children. So it's really a very uh, personal um, universe that has always been in my mind. Um, yeah, 
at that time and until late, uh, poetry and theater were not distinguished. It's quite recent. So I wanted to go back to this form. So that's why I wrote a poetic dialogue. And you might have noticed some introductions because there, there are eight cantos, which are like acts, and they are introduced by prose poems at the third person. So this is not the dialogue. And, and this is the same function that the one wo that was given to the chorus in the uh, antique uh, drama that says in its way what is going to happen. And then it happens in between the characters. And <laughs> I wondered if you could talk a bit about the role of sound in your writing and, and whether for you poetry and music mm. are very distinct yeah. or whether there's... Yeah, I didn't mention music, but at that time, poetry, theatre and music were just one art. So, uh, orality is very important. Uh, it happens often that um, the verse comes orally. I, I, I speak, and then I write. Then I write, because at one point <laughs> you have to write. And uh, when I feel that the poem is finished, I improve it by the sound. And the sound is the very last form. There is no... Not any poem that hasn't been improved in its sound before I publish it. Voilà, and I work a lot with musicians because w when you hear a song or when you hear uh, music, it will touch you, I mean, in your brain, in a different part than the one that are awakened by the words and all what is more intellectual. So I like to mingle the, this because I think it's, it's interesting to, to put the poem at here where you are touched by the music. So this isn't on the schedule, so you can absolutely say no. <laughs> but would you maybe perform one last song? Bye.
We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to comment on the podcast you have just listened to, or if you want to download more of our podcasts, visit our blog at www.readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com.